Yes, my connection with uh, this congregation goes back a ways. Of course, my interpretation of you is a little colored by a certain Doug that I became familiar with a few years ago. Uh, so our connection goes back a long ways. Really grateful for the opportunity to be here. The, um, I want to spend just a, just a few moments telling you about, about our ministry and why this connection is so important to us. Um, you are the bride. You, the church, are the bride. We're here to serve the church. That's our, that's our mission. That's our goal. And at the heart of who we are, we have essentially four values. They come out of restoration principles that are our guiding principles. One of the first ones is uh, scholarship. And the idea of it behind that is, you know, where the scriptures speak, we speak. We want to know the Bible. We want our students to know the Bible. It's really important to understand scripture. But it's, for me, as the academic dean and the person who does the hiring of our faculty, I'm not so much worried about people who are really keen on writing books. What I'm looking for are people who are anxious to apply that. So the, I had a criticism of one of, one of my um, faculty members sort of criticized our faculty because, you know, they're not a part of, they don't really engage the academy. They don't write articles. They're not. And I said, but I, that's not who I hired. Look at uh, Ben Williams. He's constantly working with churches and he goes out and preaches and Vance Russell going out and preaching. Danny Herod going off to the mission field. Uh, our, our CE person still to this day in, embedded in, in, uh, in, in working with children's ministry. I, I try to hire people who know the scripture but are impelled to serve. That's their goal. Uh, so where the Bible speaks, we speak. We believe in community, in all things love. We want to be people who are loving people. And then um, the issue of humility. One of the restoration movement principles is we are not the only Christians. And it's about the stance of being willing to listen and hear other perspectives. And then innovation. Um, the, the issue here is Bible things and Bible ways, but what does that look like in the 21st century? So those are the things that really drive us in terms of our core values. But the the thing that I'm the most proud about, uh, Boise Bible College, about 40% of our four-year graduates go into full-time ministry. And I've been, I've been academic dean since 1994, so I've been tracking our graduates since 1990. And I track them, if they're in full-time ministry, I track them by name, how long they last before they drop out, before they can't take it anymore, before they leave. Are we approximately, it's dipped a little bit because of COVID. We've gotten the numbers of slid just a little bit, but for the most part, it's 90% of our graduates who go in the mission field of ministry uh, are there past five years. So they survived the first five years. And what I say is the first five years is on us. After that, it's on you. And since 1980, and the number of people who've gone into full-time ministry and are still there since 19. Eight, uh, since 1990, is just shy of 80%. Um, and to me, that is at the heart of uh, what makes me excited about uh, what we're doing. If we can get people who are prepared and capable of staying there for the long term, uh, that is our passion. That's what we're trying to do. Okay, let's get into the message, though. You guys are in the book of, of John. I've been listening to the messages online, uh, and uh, I'm excited to be a part of of, of this message series. Being involved in a, in a college setting, I've been really fascinated to watch how people make decisions. And I've come to the conclusion that 
the way people make a decision kind of is going to indicate what's going to happen to them ultimately in life. People who make good decisions end up in good places. People who don't make good decisions, they make their life uh, very difficult down the road. I'm also interested in how different types of personalities make decisions. Now, I'm a perfect melancholy, an analytical person, kind of a fact kind of a person. And so my natural inclination is to gather information. Where's the hard part for a person like me? It's to stop gathering and make a call. And then I look at the powerful clerics, the drivers, the go get them types, and I want, to, I want you to picture a ref in a football game or a basketball game, but let's just think football. Things are happening fast. The, the time between something happening on the field and that ref going poof, is like that. Like, wow, amazing, quick decisions. And it's, you'd be inclined to think as a, as a person who thinks things through methodically, by the way, you're not gonna find my personality type on that field, throwing the flag. It's like, let me think about it, let me think about it. No, you would think that, no, that's just an impulsive decision, but it's not an impulsive decision. What that indicates is that that ref knows the rules so well, is completely immersed in those rules, and is so familiar with the game and understands what he sees that he can take all that information he already has the information. He just saw it. He just simply moves to the point of commitment like that and says, I make the call. So both the analytical person like myself with the gathering process or the ref on the field are acting on the basis of a background of information and then the willingness to commit. The people who make me nervous are the people who make decisions purely on emotion. You know, these are the kind of people, they go to an auction, they, just were just, they were just going to just watch, but they did get a number. They didn't intend to buy anything, but something came up. And they said, okay, I'll do this until $200. And they find themselves taking it home for $1,200. That was all based on an excitement of the moment. And so, the thing that I want us to wrestle with and look at here when we talk about finding and following Jesus is which kind of decision-making process is the process of becoming a follower of Jesus? Is it the emotion-based decision or is it like both the analytic and the, the ref supporting data and then the willingness to make a decision? And so this is really important to me. I grew up on the mission field. My parents were missionaries. I was born in Japan. I was immersed in the church. I mean, just surrounded by the church, and yes, immersed uh, as a young kid and became a Christian. But I don't know if you've noticed, but if you read scripture, there are some pretty fantastic stories in there. There are, there are some things that are really, 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 really like, wow. That's, that's, that's pretty amazing. And the the question for me was, as I became of age, is I have to be, yeah, I, I accepted Jesus and was baptized when I was in like third grade. But when I got to be the point of about 18, it's like, it's like throwing the flag. Is this, am I, am I all in? Am I, am I committing to this? And so when I became 
a college student, went to Cincinnati Bible Seminary College at the time. I, I devoted myself to the classes on apologetics, on, on understanding what, what's the evidence behind uh, the, the, um, the commitment to live for Jesus. So that's the background with which I want us to read our passage today, which is going to be about people who made a choice to follow Jesus and ultimately to become his disciples. And I want to ask that question, which kind of decision are they making? Is this an emotional decision or is this a decision made on the basis of evidence? So let's just read through this passage. This is uh, the end of John chapter 1. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is be disciples of John the Baptist. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And two disciples, so these are disciples of John, heard him say this and they followed Jesus. It's like, this is, this is where we're going. It's like, John the Baptist says, hey, I'm of God. And then all of a sudden, the two of his disciples go, whoop, like that, just like that. And so um, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned to them and saw them following and said, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? which seems like kind of a random question. And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Philip uh, and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael, kind of a skeptic here, said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And I'm guessing there was more to it than that. Because Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And he threw that flag really fast. It's like, you are the real deal. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So I'm kind of taken aback as I'm reading this passage at the remarkable speed at which people were making a commitment to follow Jesus. And if you just look back at, at, at the, the passages that you've been dealing with just you've been in this series what three weeks this is the fourth week something like that and uh, last week I believe it was that you were reading about John the Baptist being challenged by the religious leaders and then verse 29 of after he's been challenged it says that Jesus uh, and John the Baptist tells the people around him that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so John the Baptist is challenged the next day, he sees Jesus and declares who he is. And then a few verses later, which is our passage today, it says, the next day, uh, Jesus 
But John the Baptist again points Jesus out and says, hey, there's, there's that Lamb of God. And two people peel off and go follow him. And then in verse 43, it says again, the next day. So this is like boom, boom, boom. It's happening fast. The next day, Jesus heads off to Galilee. And it probably took him a little while to get there. And then when he's up there, he tells um, Philip to follow him. This is fast. This is happening really, really, really quickly. And so what I want to know is, are these people making a decision just simply on the basis of some emotional uh, being caught in the moment or is there a rational reason for it? And what, essentially what I want to tell you today is that I believe the Gospel of John is written for people like me. And people who need some evidence to back up and as proof of that, when, when Rob started this series, he started with the end of the book of John. Because the end of the book of John says, I'm writing all this stuff for what reason? I'm writing these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All this that I'm describing to you about everything that Jesus did and what, he, what we saw of him, the things that we witnessed about him, these things are written for people who want some evidence to back their faith. And even in our passage, when we meet Nathaniel, uh, who's called Bartholomew elsewhere, but Nathaniel, Nathaniel's a skeptic. It's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And the, the, the New Testament, the book of John, doesn't condemn him for asking those questions. And if you get to the very end of the book of John, we're going to see Thomas. And Thomas says, hey, unless I can put my hands where, uh, in his hands and his side, I, I'm, ha I'm going to have a tough time with this, guys. And the Bible doesn't condemn him for asking those questions. So the Gospel of John is written to give us the evidence so that our decisions to follow Jesus is not just a random emotional response. And so what I want us to do in this passage is to go down through sort of the context. What, lie, what lay behind those decisions and the, 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 of these people who found and followed Jesus? And the first thing I want to emphasize to you is undergirding everything that made those decisions so easy for those people is scripture. The whole Israelite community, the Jewish people, they were steeped in Old Testament scripture. They were aware of the Old Testament pointing to the coming of the Messiah. And it's in that context that John the Baptist arose and began to speak. And when he spoke out in the wilderness, this is the passages you were dealing with last week, the religious leaders came out to him and said, are you the prophet? Are you the person that we've been waiting for? And, he, and John the Baptist said, no, I'm not the prophet. And then he does what? He goes back to the book of Isaiah and says, based on the Old Testament, my role is not to be the prophet. My role is to be the one announcing the prophet. So it's all based on an Old Testament background. And, and when Philip went and had his conversation to Nathaniel, what did he say? We have found him that the law and the prophets wrote about. We found the person that the scriptures have been pointing to. And this connection between the life of Jesus and the Old Testament expectations is really highlighted. It's 
kind of highlighted in John, but if you really want to see where that's really the focal point of the book, go to the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, you're going to find 60 references to Old Testament passages. You're going to find 40 quotes from the Old Testament. And all throughout the gospel of the book of uh, the gospel of Matthew are what are called fulfillment, like fulfillment passages, where the story is told and it says, this is to fulfill the word of the, of the prophets. This is to fulfill the word that's in the Old Testament. This shows us the connection to the Old Testament. So the book of Matthew is drawing us back to the Old Testament expectations. And the gospel of John is not, that's not the point of the gospel of John. It's not really to show the connection to the Old Testament. It's to, to reveal the nature of Jesus as the Son of God. But as we approach the crucifixion and resurrection, at the focal point of where really the evidence for Jesus as the Son of God is coming into play in John chapter, in John chapter 19, there are four fulfillment passages in John chapter 19. And so we see the people dividing up Jesus' garments and casting lots for his clothes. And it says, that's, that's to fulfill the word of the Lord. Or when Jesus said, I thirst, oh, that's to fulfill the word of the Lord. Or when it says, not a, uh, when, uh, when they said that they, Jesus was already dead so they didn't break his bones, that's to fulfill the word of the Lord. And when it says that um, these people were looking up at him and he was, uh, he was pierced, and it says, uh, the scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. So John does make these connections with the Old Testament, uh, much like Matthew does. So my first contention is this. When it looks like Philip... Nathaniel, all these people are just making snap decisions. They're not making snap decisions. They're making decisions like a football ref who has studied the playbook and knows what they're looking for. And when they see it, they throw the flag. They make the call. Uh, that's what I want you to see here uh, as we look through the Gospel of John. And then the second thing that I want you to see is that it's not just the Old Testament expectations that colors their perspective it is the miraculous signs that they actually happen to see these individuals not only saw Jesus they actually saw really remarkable things that convinced them that Jesus was truly who he said um, he was and it's we, we see this with John the Baptist as he's uh, announcing the coming of the one. And there's that transition from when G John the Baptist is announcing the coming of the Messiah to John the Baptist identifying who that Messiah is. And we read about this in, in Matthew chapter 3 where he's baptizing people and all of a sudden Jesus shows up and it's, you know, he knows Jesus because he's related to Jesus. He knows Jesus and he hasn't specifically said, this is the Lamb of God. But when Jesus says, hey, I, I want to be baptized. And John the Baptist says, I, I don't know. I think this might be the other way around. I think you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, I want you to baptize me. And after he baptized Jesus, the heavens opened up. And down came a dove. And this voice that says, this is my beloved son. And this was an astounding event in the, in the life and ministry of, of John the Baptist. And here in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, it says, 
I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. So he, this isn't it happening. He's now testifying about what he saw. In John chapter 1, this is post-baptism. He's now looking back at that event and announcing to the people, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, hey, so God told John the Baptist, when you baptize someone and this happens, that's him. And so he says, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So it's not that John the Baptist just simply knew Old Testament scripture, but when he was confronted with Jesus, his confirmation was, was in the form of a miracle uh, that that not just the miracle of seeing what happened when he was baptized, but the fact that God had told him in advance what it was that, that was going to happen. And so, the, uh, then when John the Baptist is now testifying, uh, he testifies to the people that, uh, that are coming around, this is the one. So that's what happens in the, the rest of this passage is that he keeps pointing out, this is the Lamb of God. How do I know he's the Lamb of God? Because I saw uh, the, him being baptized, uh, when I baptized him, here came, this, um, here came this voice out of heaven. So if, whether the disciples of John the Baptist saw that event or heard that event, if they heard the conviction of John the Baptist, this is what I was looking for, this is what happened, then all of a sudden when Jesus walks by and he says, hey, there's the Lamb of God, why is it any surprise the disciples of John the Baptist say, okay, we're going to go follow him. Because what was the point of John the Baptist's ministry? The point of his ministry was to point to him. And so it's not surprising that they would follow, um, uh, follow right after him. And he's not the only one that sees a miracle. We see even Nathaniel, when, when Philip introduces him to Jesus and to, John, uh, to Jesus and Jesus says oh this guy in whom there is no deceit no guile and Nathaniel says you don't even know me and whatever Jesus said revealed that he knew Nathaniel intimately even though he had never met him and that's part of the miracle that convinced uh, him and look at his response. Nathaniel's response is, you are rabbi. You are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And again, go back to the ref. He hears the statement come out of the mouth of Jesus and he's, he's ready to commit. He's convinced. You're the real deal. And that isn't the, and Jesus, by the way, he says in modern lingo, if, that's, if that convinced you, you ain't seen nothing yet. You've got some good stuff that you're going to get to enjoy because next week you get the water turned into wine. Uh, that's chapter 2. In chapter 4 we have the Samaritan woman where Jesus tells the Samaritan woman all these things about her life that he had no reason to know. Uh, and so she goes out and tells everybody else about him uh, and they believe on the basis of that. We have the official son who is, is healed. In chapter 5, you've got the healing of the lame man. In chapter 6, you've got the feeding of the 5,000. You've got Jesus walking on the water. We don't have time to go through the whole book of John. You've got all year to do that. But when Jesus says to Nathaniel, you believe on the basis of the fact that I knew you intimately even though I had never met you, well, there's even greater miracles that are going to come. 
And so my point is that when these people were making these decisions to, fo to, to follow Jesus, it's not just simply on the spur of the moment like getting caught up at an auction. No, these people were steeped in the Old Testament. They were expecting something. And when that expectation became fulfilled and was also not just fulfilled but also um, supported by mir miraculous signs, then they made uh, the commitment. Now, not everybody can be at the baptism of Jesus and, and see all these things and hear all these things. Not everybody's going to get to see these miracles. And so uh, more people are going to find Jesus through Scripture, through miracles, but more than that, people are going to find, their, find Jesus through the eyewitness testimony. It's people who have seen it that are passing the word along. And you'll notice the importance, and this is because the whole point of John is to convince us about the authenticity of Jesus. And at the heart of it, from the very beginning, now we're going to talk now not about John the Baptist or John the B. We're going to talk about John the Apostle, John the A. The Gospel of John, from the very first, from the very moment it starts, says this is the testimony of an eyewitness. And so there was a man sent from God uh, whose name was John. He, so this is, um, this is John the Baptist in this case, whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And then um, John the Baptist says, I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. I jumped, I jumped ahead of myself here. It's not just, the, so the Gospel of John is going to do this, but it starts with the, 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 the person, John the Baptist, who is emphasizing his role as a witness, a witness to, he's not the prophet, he's there as a witness to the prophet. And that's, even when, when Jesus comes by and he, and he points out to his disciples, this is the Lamb of God, he's playing the role of, of witness. And he's not the only one who's playing the role of witness. We have Philip playing the role of witness to Nathaniel. We've found him who, the Mo who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about. We have found Jesus the Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And when Nathaniel kind of laughs that off, uh, Philip says, well, come and see. He's acting as a witness. Um, so when these people are, are making this, uh, making these claims, making... Uh, making these decisions to follow Jesus, it's not just on the, on the basis of the, uh, the scriptures that have told about Jesus, it's not just on the basis of what they have seen, but it's also on the basis of the testimony of trusted individuals. And this is what leads us to where I kind of jumped ahead. That's, this is the Gospel of John. So this is John the, the Apostle, this is chapter 1, verse 14. This is kind of the undergirding the whole book of, of, um, of the Gospel of John. And the Word became flesh. This is chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. We saw it. We saw His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And when He closes the book, when the, the Apostle John closes the book at the very end he says this is the disciple this is me John the Apostle I bear witness 
that about these things. I have written these things as we know that his testimony is true. He's talking about himself in the third person. He's saying, I'm a witness. I'm not telling you about stuff that somebody told me about. I saw this stuff. I saw this stuff happen. And I, I'm, I want you to hear it and see it because of the significance. I'm not always sure that it's great to bring up a bunch of Greek words in a sermon, but uh, there's something kind of interesting. If you look at the Gospel of, uh, of John in chapter 20, the word, a variation of the word see shows up in three different ways in that passage. This is the passage where we start, this is the day after Jesus has been um, buried, uh, the day of his resurrection actually, and Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb, she notices the stone's gone, and, and then the, the Peter and John run to the, the tomb and check it out, and they go tell the uh, the other, other disciples, there are three words. John chapter uh, 20 starts with the word blepo. They saw something, they glanced, they, they, they noticed something. It's just like you notice something. And then as the passage progresses, it changes from blepo to theoreo, which means to examine. They studied it. So they went into the empty tomb and they looked at the garments and they studied it. And then it moves as they then go and tell everybody else about it, the word changes to, I experienced this. I'm witness, I'm a witness to this. So what you notice is that the, the word see in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, with the resurrection, changes from just simply noticing something to be a communicator with conviction based on what you have seen. And that's the heart, that's the tenor, that's the, the kind of the whole point of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is, is the testimony of an apostle of all the things that he's seen for the purpose of helping us throw the flag, of making that decision. And then finally, it's not just scripture, it's not just miracles, and it's not just witnesses of these events, but... Many people find Jesus through committed followers. Even when John the Baptist was baptizing people in the wilderness, how did all these people end up out in the wilderness? They ended up out in the wilderness joining him out there because people who had been baptized by him, who were really convicted by what he was saying, went back and told other people about him. These people didn't necessarily see the miracle. They weren't necessarily even witnesses to miracle. But they were convinced by what they had heard and so they went back and communicated. And the same thing, we, we see that in our passage. We see Andrew announcing to Peter. We see Philip announcing to Nathaniel. You skip ahead to John chapter 4 and look at the story of the Samaritan woman after she is confronted by Jesus and Jesus talks about her life and the kind of life she's been living. living. It says the whole village came to believe Jesus on the basis of what? Seeing miracle? No, they didn't see the miracle. They came to a conviction about Jesus on the basis of the testimony of a lady who is telling about her experience with Jesus. So it is the communication process of one follower to another person that is bringing about this, um, this um, uh, uh, for people to find Jesus. And the reality is that most people 
Most of us, we did not come to Christ because we saw a miracle. We came to Christ because of the influence of people we trusted who brought us to Jesus and they, as us, rest their faith on the basis of the evidence behind that claim about Jesus uh, through the scriptures of the Old Testament, the events in the life of Jesus, and the lives of reliable people who are testifying to what they saw about Jesus. So everything we've been talking about, these first four points, are all about the, this part. It's all about when they made the decision, what information were they working with when they made that decision? This is all about the ref studying the playbook. This is all about the people like me going around just gathering information, information. I want to buy a refrigerator, so I'm going to research all the refrigerators so that I make a good choice on the refrigerator. But ultimately, following Jesus is the commitment part of the journey. It's, it's the pulling the flag out of your pocket and actually making the call. And the, that part of it is really, it's about submission. It's really a heart thing. It's, it's not a head thing. I mean, you can, you can be confronted with all kinds of evidence. You've seen this in situations where people are confronted with massive evidence about the guilt of someone and they absolutely refuse to, to believe it. And it's not because the evidence isn't sufficient, it's because they're unwilling to make that, that call. I've had the fortune to travel all around the United States and gone to some amazing places um, like the Rocky Mountain National Park, the Grand Canyon, um, Yosemite, Yellowstone. And there's almost, especially around four o'clock in the afternoon, there's almost a consistent drama that takes place at those places. As families are piling out of their cars, there's a junior high kid in the back seat of a car somewhere refusing to, to get out. It's like not interested and you can drag that kid to the to the edge of Grand Canyon and he refuses to be impressed it's not because there's nothing to be impressed with it's because he's made a decision he's not going to be impressed so the the reason a person like myself who's so fact oriented and analytical in my processes the reason the hard part for me, the reason it takes a while to make those decisions is because, especially something like throwing the flag, is you're not just making a, a decision, you're making that decision public. You're all in. You've said, I believe it. I'm going to change the way I live. I am going to submit myself to God. That is, a, that is ultimately a submission of the will. It's not a matter of the mind. It's a matter of uh, the will. And as I mentioned as we started, Jesus was not really worried about the Thomases of the world. When he sees the evidence, he follows. He's not worried about the Nathaniels of the world who's kind of skeptical. But when he sees the evidence, he makes a decision. But he's very pointed against the Jewish leaders. And he convicts them because he says, 
you claim to see but refuse to see. And so you are going to be condemned. So the problem with those, the problem that he has, the problem that Jesus has, the problem that God has, the problem that John has is not with people who want the evidence. It's people who are unwilling to yield themselves to the evidence. And so ultimately the, the, the thing that I, I want to communicate to us is that the whole point of the Gospel of John is to lead us to that decision piece. And for those of us who've made the decision to, to follow Jesus, it's to give you assurance that you've made a wise choice. For those who have not made that decision, it's to challenge you to make that, that choice. But ultimately, the Gospel of John is not to tell you about this part. The whole Gospel of John is about getting you to the point where you're willing to reach into the pocket and throw the flag. And so, the Gospel of John starts this way. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did do what? To all who were willing to make that call. Who did receive him. Who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's how John starts. And then this is how the, God, the gospel of John ends. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And believing you may have life in his name. I am grateful that God gives us this part to support this part. And I just pray that this journey through the Gospel of John this year will really be encouraging to you about this part. Let's pray. Our Father and our God in heaven,